Today, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 4, as he finishes up with part 2 of a message titled, Growth in the Storm. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Each gospel writer, I think, picked what the Holy Spirit led them to highlight. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them as they were able to hear it. That could imply that he was speaking on their level. And he did not speak to them without a parable. But he was explaining the idea of the language here is the untie a knot. Sometimes the disciples maybe metaphorically were in knots. They were trying to figure out what he was saying. Then he would untie the knot. It's kind of good when you have someone who can explain a difficult concept to you and untie that knot that's been in your brain. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm not good at untying knots, but I usually hand them to my wife and (laughs) she's got fingernails and everything. And so uh, Jesus was explaining these parables. He would untie the knot and he would explain everything end of 34 privately to his own disciples. And on that day, 35, now the text transitions from the growth to the great storm. When evening had come, so it was nighttime, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. And just so you know, the other side of the lake the northwestern part of the lake was called the Decapolis. And it was known to be, for the 10 cities, these were Greek cities, they were set up with Hellenism. Hellenism was the belief of the ancient Greeks spilled over from Alexander the Great and his influence. And Hellenism, to very much simplify the belief system, said man is the center of everything. Sound familiar? The sacred animal... In these cities on the other side of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, as it was also known, in these cities, the sacred animal was the pig. And Jesus says, let's go over there where there's Greek pagan cities where the sacred animal is the pig. And by the way, the religious leaders believe that that's where Satan lived on the other side of the lake. If you're a disciple, you have to be thinking, what? Yeah. He has ears to hear, let him, (laughs) what? (laughs) You want to go over there? You want to go over where the the pagan worship happens, where all that stuff is going on? Yeah, Jesus says. We haven't accomplished quite enough today. (laughs) I mean, think about his schedule, right? Let's go over to the other side. And so the Sea of Galilee, Terry, if you are ready, here's a, a photo of the sea from an aerial shot. Beautiful sheet of water, probably the most sacred sheet of water on the planet. And keep going, Terry, to the next one. Here is a sunset on the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. I took a boat ride out there in 2006. It was a wonderful time out there. One more, Terry, if you would. And here's just a beautiful sunrise on the Sea of Galilee. And so this particular body of water is about 13 miles long and is about seven miles wide. And so this is where most of Jesus's ministry took place. Let's go back to the, the sermon slide, if you would, Terry. And so on, on one, of those, uh, one of those days, or in fact, Mark says, on the day when all these growth parables were being told by Jesus, Jesus says, hey, boys, let's go over to the other side. Let's go over to this 
dark side of the lake. And there wasn't just one boat, by the way. We sometimes think of this story, and it's familiar to a lot of us, that it was just a single boat. It wasn't. It says, leaving the multitude, and remember, he had been preaching to them from the boat, and they were all on the seashore. They took him along, Jesus along with them. That's always good to do. Just as he was in the boat, and notice, other boats were with him. So there was a little mini fleet that took off that night. Destination, other side of the lake. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Let's go to that place of darkness. Let's go to that place where they say Baal dominates, where Beelzebub's power is on display. Go to Matthew for a second. One book back. Parallel text, chapter 8. Matthew 8. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Matthew 8. Look at 16. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, Matthew 8, 16, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill, 17, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, Matthew 8, 18, he gave orders to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has nowhere to lay his head. I saw a faith teacher on television who was trying to convince his congregation that the health and wealth prosperity gospel is actually biblical. He said these words, I'm watching television in my living room. Often when I am in profound disagreement with what's happening on the screen, I begin to speak to my television screen. I don't know if any of you do this. I usually do this when my favorite team is losing and I think I'm a better coach than the one coaching the team. So he's on the television and he says, I'm gonna prove to you, you know, all these Christians say the son of man had nowhere to lay his head, foxes have holes, I'm gonna prove to you that that wasn't true. And he goes over to this account that we're gonna look at in a moment. And Jesus is in the boat and there's a storm and he's laying on a pillow. You see, said the faith teacher, Jesus did have a pillow. And that means that you and I should be rich. More specifically, it means I should be rich and you should be giving more to my ministry. And I'm yelling at the TV, and here's why. Because even the pillow that was in the boat, if you study this passage, did not belong to Jesus. It was the pillow for the one who steered the ship. And they would leave it there just in case you weren't involved in ship, in the, the fishing on the ship, and you could use it. Even the pillow wasn't his. This is some of the nonsense that's out there today to try to prove a particular point of view. And so another disciple said to him, 21, Matthew 8, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And the idea here is let me wait until he gets old and then he dies. And Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now, back to Mark. Luke's gospel, Luke 8, 23, shares these words. If you go back to Mark chapter 4, as they were sailing, Jesus fell asleep. So somewhere as they set out with this mini fleet of boats, I'm sure it was a beautiful, serene scene on the Sea of Galilee. I'm sure the water was calm at this point. The little mini fleet, almost like a parade on the water, took off. It was nighttime. The sun had set. And Jesus finally, finally gets to sleep. 
We've been talking in previous messages about his schedule, right? He knows what it means to be stressed out. He knows what it means to have to, you know, so many demands upon him. He couldn't even eat a meal. There were so many people trying to get at him. And finally, as the boat takes off, he finds this helmsman's pillow and he says, boys, here's, here's, here's the God man. I need to sleep. And so he begins to sleep. Mark 8, 23 says, as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. Yes, he did sleep. He was 100% man and 100% God. He got tired so many demands were on him, and finally he says, I need to sleep. And as he began to sleep, a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. That was um, Luke 8.23. Here's Mark picking up the story. Finally, he gets a moment where he can rest, but not for long. Have you ever been there before? You, you finally get a chance to lay your head on the pillow, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, and you're like... Finally, okay, I can rest now. <gasps> ring, ring, ding dong, everything's going off. Cell phone, all the devices in your life that you now want to throw away are ringing. Dogs are carrying away your children. You're like, I don't care, take them. You know, you're just gone. <laughs> he finally gets a chance to sleep just for a moment. And there arose, Mark 4, 37, a fierce gale of wind. New King James ESV says, a great windstorm, and the waves were breaking over the boat just when you try to rest. In the Jewish mind, the sea, especially at night, its unpredictability, its waves, its sudden storms, was a picture of evil, even the power of Satan. And by the way, in a lot of the paganism that was on the other side of the lake, they believed that Baal, which is kind of a type of Satan, had power over the wind and the storm and the lightning and the rain. That's why ancient cultures sometimes tried to appease Baal because they thought if they did that he would send them crops and blessing and rain and they needed it desperately. So he's supposed to control this. So isn't this interesting timing? Hmm. The Messiah finally gets a chance to lay his head down and rest, and all of a sudden, this huge storm. If you uh, go and you Google seas on the uh, storms on the Sea of Galilee, you're not going to find much footage of pictures with big waves because they mostly happen at night. And they happen because of the topography of the land. What happens is the sea is about 700 feet below sea level, and hills rush up about two to 3,000 feet all around the lake. So it gets cold on top of the hills, but it's tropical at sea level. In fact, they grow bananas all, all around the sea. It's very tropical. So what happens is it gets cold on the top of the hills, and when the cold air begins to travel down the caverns of the hills, it hits the warm seawater, and sometimes there are unexpected storms on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, in 1992, they had waves on the Sea of Galilee that were over 10 feet high. By the way, this is a freshwater body of water. It's not... It's not uh, a sea of salt, if you will, but it, it's big enough where sometimes it's called a sea as well. And waves were breaking in 1992, uh, so crashing so violently that it destroyed areas of the city of Tiberias right there on the coast. So this does happen. They say, in fact, this sea is notorious for these types of storms. And all, all of a sudden, there's this fierce gale of wind, great windstorm. The waves were breaking over the boat the imperfect tense of the language is they repeatedly crashed into the boat. 
so much so that the boat was already filling up with water. Ever had that sinking feeling? (laughs) Here you are. I told him. What is he saying? Go over to the other side with the power of that evil. And uh, we knew it. You ever been there before? We knew it. (laughs) Monday morning quarterback. I told you we shouldn't have gone tonight. And what's he doing? Sleeping. We're in trouble here, Lord. You ever had that feeling before? Lord, are you awake up there? Hello. Do you want to be able to to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology. And you can purchase that and listen to it, give it to a friend. Intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. That's what's available at walkintruth.com at the store, and there'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. Behold, there, Matthew 8, 24, arose a great storm, literally a seismos, where we get the idea of seismology or the measuring of earthquakes. There was a great shaking in the sea, Matthew 8, 24, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he himself was asleep. In Matthew's picture here, it pictures the Sea of Galilee shaking. And here's this fleet of boats, not just one boat, and they're all just in deep trouble. The waves are breaking over the boat, and maybe it's satanic power behind it. And he himself was in the stern, 38, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, now, I don't know what this looked like. I don't know if there was a little dialogue at first. You want to wake him up? I don't know, should we? He hasn't slept in days. Maybe it was Peter. Since Peter's thoughts are behind the Gospel of Mark, I just guess it was Peter. Lord! And hopefully he wasn't, you know, hard to wake up like a teenager on a school day. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Does anything wake you up? (laughs) This is a time for emergency prayer. And it's pretty cool that Jesus is on the boat. Lord, wake up. Notice the words, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You could render this. Teacher, are we to drown for all you care? He's demonstrated nothing but care. Nothing but love, but now in a moment of crisis, have you ever been there before? The Lord's done all this great stuff for you, and then you have a storm, and it's blowing a little, and he's not responding as quickly. You're like, Lord, don't you care? Look, we've all been there before. Life doesn't always make sense, and there's a remarkable storm. Have you ever had a friend who can sleep at a moment's notice? Sleep on airplanes, sleep while they're driving the car. (laughs) You have to basically try to slap them or have a water bottle right next to their face. You guys have heard the guy that says, you know, when I die, I'd prefer to die in my sleep like my grandfather did, not like the rest of the screaming passengers in his back seat. (laughs) 
Sorry. Don't you care that we're perishing here, Lord? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. Don't you, don't you think there's a lot of people asking this question? Have you seen the stormy conditions down here, Lord? I don't know if you know what's going on on the lake, but we got trouble. We got problems. I think a lot of people ask, do you care? They knew very well this lake. They fished on it, many of them, their whole lives. One writer says, contrary to public-held views on the matter, it is usually the experts who recognize the need to panic, close quote. <laughs> when you see the experts panicking, that's when it's time to panic. When they're not saying, hey, it's going to be all right. <laughs> that's time to wake up Jesus, no matter what you might get. And so storms become quite a picture. Storms become an opportunity for spiritual growth. In fact, if it was Peter that woke him up and asked this question on behalf of the others, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? In a later story, it will be Peter who actually steps out of the boat in a storm and has faith. And that's part of what storms are about. They're about growth. They're about the next time they come. Instead of doing the same thing that you've always done before when God's come through for you or at least shown you his glory in some remarkable way, how about the next time you have a storm, you don't repeat the same mistakes that you made before and the same accusations that you threw up at God? Psalm 44, 23, 26 says, if we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. But for thy sake, we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Arouse thyself. Why dost thou sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not reject us forever. Why dost thou hide thy face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up and be our help. Redeem us for the sake of thy loving kindness. Psalm 44, 20 through 26. I read one writer who said, Lord, let me meet you in the storm. Let me rise on the heights of a wave to meet you somewhere above the storm. And being aroused, 39, so Jesus is woken. We don't know how long it took, but he is aroused. He wakes up, and notice what he does. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush. I take it as Jesus just woke up and he didn't want to be bothered again. We've all been there before, right? Quiet! <laughs> Trying to get some sleep here. Well, we didn't say it to the ocean or to the lake. Jesus says, hush, be still, and the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. Terry, would you go to the next sermon slide? Uh, and then I think, Brenda, did you have one more up there? There's one with a calm, serene picture. I want to leave people with that. Maybe you can find it. Anyway. All of a sudden, he quiets, he hushes the storm and the winds, just like Mark 125, he said, be quiet to the uh, demon and come out of him. Be muzzled is the idea. Can you imagine if you were with a person and things were getting a little out of control on the boat and all of a sudden that person said, quiet! <laughs> 
If you start to ask some questions about who this person is, Job 26, 14 says, he quieted the sea with his power. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. Psalm 107, 29 says, he caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Jonah 1, verse 14 says, then they called on the Lord and they said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Uh, that's Jonah. And do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, O Lord, has done as thou has pleased. And they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. We can think of the Red Sea when God opened the sea and then closed it on the Egyptian army. The one who has power over the sea is God, and God alone. Here you can see kind of a neat coming together of his incarnation, his humanity, he has to rest and sleep, but his deity, he can tell the sea to be quiet, and it listens. Oh, for that power, just for one afternoon. Wouldn't that be cool? Anyway, just a dream. (laughs) And he said to them, why are you so timid, 40 How is it that you have no faith? Now, in moments like this, when I'm reading my Bible, I say something like this. This is an honest take. Lord, what did you want them to do? (laughs) What do you think he expected of them? I mean, Jesus had said, let's go to the other side. So that was enough. They knew they were gonna make it if they were trusting him, but they probably lacked trust. And I'm not sure all that he expected of them, but he expected more faith than this. Do you think sometimes he looks at us in things that are maybe a lot smaller than this scene and says, how is it that you have no faith? How long have you been doing this? How long have you been walking with me? How is it that you, you have no faith? I told you we're going to the other side. I told you we're going to find our destination. And they became very much afraid, and they said to one another, who then is this? New King James says, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And I think when Mark was writing this, and these are Peter's thoughts behind Mark's gospel, I think he's asking the readers right now to pause and say, who can this be? That even the wind and the waves obey him, or he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Seven things on storms. You may have to go back and get the recording, and we're done. What is the lesson of the calming of the storm? What's the truth to be unveiled before us? Are you storm-tossed? Are you seasick? (laughs) Seven things. One, storms simplify life. They often get your focus on the most important things like survival and strength from God. One, storms simplify life, don't they? I mean, you can be worrying about 25 things, but when a storm comes, all of a sudden, there's only really a few things that matter. And storms have a way of kind of bringing life down to its most simplest uh, form, and that can be good, too. They make you appreciate the calm days more. Amen? Storm comes, and you're like, where did that come from? 
And maybe you've been used to a lot of calm days and, and a storm comes and then it calms down again and you're like, you're a more thankful person. Three, storms get you to look beyond and above yourself. When you don't have control, even when you're an expert fisherman on the Sea of Galilee and all of a sudden, this is too big for you. Sometimes storms cause you to look above yourself and that can be good. Four, storms show us God's presence and provision and promises and become our anchor in the storm. We often see God show up in unexpected ways. His presence, his provision, and his promises become more precious to us. Five, when a Christian goes through storms, trials, and temptations, his or her testimony is expanded and matured. God stretches us in storms, but not just for ourselves, but that we might impact other people. Six, we can be confident that even when we go through storms in life, he will get us to the other side. And in this case, I'll use the metaphor, we're gonna make it to heaven if we're Christians. We're gonna see our loved ones again who died in the Lord. We're gonna make it. He's gonna bring us safely home into that heavenly kingdom. And seven, great growth often happens in great storms. This is where we meet our God in deeper ways. We just discussed some of the products on walkintruth.com. Are they all just Bible studies on audio and DVD, or is there any other products that may be available? What do you mean, just Bible studies? I'm just, <laughs> hey, you know, we, we've had one of the funnier times in the studio. We've <laughs> we had did. a good laugh here. But, you know, um, yeah, a lot of them are, are expositional teaching of books of the Bible. For example, we just recently finished the book of Ruth. What an incredible gospel story. It was a true love story. In miniature, yeah, a true love story. We've done a lot of apologetics teaching too, which another way to say apologetics, Oscar, is, hey, do you want to be able to, to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, we Recently, um, we had one of our pastors, Pastor Chris Van Hook, do the origins of Christmas, which we'll have up there. Uh, soon. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message from Professor Joe Kelly on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? We did one on Scientology, and you can purchase that and listen to it and give it to a friend. So things like that, Oscar, that are intriguing topics that are going to be available, are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. We're in what we call a season of hope, Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. And um, people are a little bit more open to the gospel at this time of year. And so what a great opportunity to maybe give them a teaching, hand it to them, hand them the physical product. There's something to that. And they can pop it in their player at, at work or um, at, in their car and get a listening library going. And you know what? It may be what the Lord uses to reach them. It, it would be a great Christmas gift. So that's what's available at walkintruth.com at the store. And there'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.